This is KCBX Central Coast Public Radio. I'm Father Ian Dellinger, and I'm playing with food. Americans love beef, pork, and chicken. Per person, we each eat about 58 pounds of beef, about 50 pounds of pork, and a whopping 100 pounds of chicken each year. By contrast, Americans consume a mere 1.1 pounds of lamb and mutton per person per year. And there weren't any stats about goat meat, but with those statistics, it's kind of a moot point. But leave it to the California Central Coast to have a hobby farm raising lamb and goats for high-quality meat. Just south of Salinas, partway up a hill overlooking America's salad bowl, sits Turning Leaf Ranch. The Playing With Food team was very interested in this small-scale animal husbandry, so off we went. Brian Palmer, goat farmer for about six years now, goat and lamb. The basics to this type of animal husbandry, well, first and foremost, you would start with fencing. Most people know goats are quite curious and, and very energetic, and they love to explore and get into all kinds of trouble. So with goat farming, number one is you got to have good fencing. Number two is diet. When I first got into goats, I had the misunderstanding that they were actually really strong, robust animals that could really handle a lot of stress and were just kind of bulletproof. And I quickly found out that it's not the case. Goats are actually quite delicate, may not be the right way of describing it, but you have to be careful with them. The number one thing to keep them in good health is good diet. On our farm, we're 100% grass and pasture raised. Uh, we don't do any grains or any concentrates or anything like that. So our primary feed is alfalfa, and that's got um, really high protein content. It's a really complete amino acid profile. It's somewhat low in energy, so we also supplement with sorghum sudan grass, which is more of a carbohydrate-rich, less protein, more carbohydrate. Once they have a good diet, that'll kind of set them up for good health. Around here, we don't have a very high parasite load. Parasites are the number one killer of goats. If you have high parasite load, you have to give them chemical dewormers, or some people use uh, natural dewormers like garlic, or they'll use things like tannin-rich, things like uh, walnuts, walnut shells. Some people use willow. So there's all kinds of different remedies. By and large, most people producing at a small scale like this, they'll just use a chemical dewormer. That's kind of the basics, right? Good strong fencing, good high quality feed, and then watch for parasites. And then shelter around here is not super essential. Our winters are super mild. Our summers are super mild. You can see there, they've actually destroyed that shelter a bunch of times. I'm <laughs> rebuilding it at the moment. Earlier today, my, my ram, I'm not sure where he is right now, but earlier today, my ram was actually, he got his head all the way through. He opened up that hole right there and he had his head all the way through and he was stuck <laughs> in the shelter. So it's pretty much just a constant kind of they destroy it and then I have to rebuild it and they destroy it again. So shelter around here is not super essential like it would be in a, in a colder environment or a warmer environment. Can we go take a look at them? Sure. Yeah. Cool. These are meat animals, they're pasture raised, so pretty much they're out in the summer once the pasture's eaten down, we'll feed them every day. In the spring we'll rotate them, so I have animal panel that I set up and move periodically, so I'll break this up into paddocks and I'll move the animals through the paddocks. Right now, they're in what's called a sacrifice paddock. If we let them graze the entire property, it would all look like this. Okay. And I know that from experience because when we first got animals, it was set stocking. Set stocking is you just set the animals out, they just do their thing. The whole property will end up looking like this if you don't contain them. And describe what we're looking at. It's all just eaten down, bare dirt. Outside of the fence, you'll notice that there's a whole lot more vegetation, and that's intentional, right? A gentleman I follow, uh, his name is Gabe Brown, and he has what he calls the five components of soil health. And they are keep the soil covered as much as possible, living root in the soil as much as possible, diversity, 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 that's the way he says it, animal impact, the last one is uh, reduce mechanical disturbance. The first principle, you wanna keep the soil covered as much as possible. So here in the sacrifice paddock, you can see it's been eaten down, we're feeding hay, 
we're letting the pasture rest, keep the soil covered, that'll reduce moisture loss, that will increase microbial activity. Whatever is able to grow out there will continue to grow throughout the summer. As the rains start in October, November, December, the pasture will start to grow again. We can start rotating the animals again, but we pull them off during the really dry summer months into the sacrifice paddock just to keep the rest of the pastures healthy. When you have them in a different pasture, does the sacrifice pasture ever grow vegetation or is it just completely, do all of those five principles, have they been thrown out of the bathtub for this pasture? It does grow out during the rainy season. It grows a lot of the broadleaf types of plants. So it'll grow mallows, it'll grow lamb's quarter, things like that. So a lot of broadleaf here. We keep them off the sacrifice paddock as long as we can because we know that eventually we're going to have to bring the animals back in here and so we do want it to grow out at some point during the summer we have to bring them in and it's going to get eaten down at that point. I see the two tiny tiny little baby goats. Yeah we've got three of those little guys so there's one here, oh, there's, there's one over there and then yeah that little guy over there. Okay do you do the whole life cycle do you regenerate your own stock? Little of both. We have several people that we buy from. We have some that are born on site and we have some that are bought in at like a year of age or so. This little guy right here with the brown head he was bought in He's about a year old. It's probably like 50-50. Half the animals are born on site and half the animals that we process are purchased in and we grow out for like the last six months or so. We usually run six to 10 breeding. Some of them will get replaced over time. Others will just sell off if they're not productive, if they skip a year. So generally we want to see the animals have at least two offspring per year. So if they skip a year or if they tend to have one, we might sell them off. We actually sell a lot more goat meat than we do lamb. And so with the sheep, we have three breeding and then one ram, which is around here somewhere. We do all of our own lamb, but then with the goats, we buy in like another probably 10 to 15 per year. What's the perfect age to sell a goat for food? That really depends on how they're raised and what your goals are. The younger they are, the more tender they're going to be. The older they are, the larger the animal will be. Our market tends to like the leaner, very low fat profile. We don't feed any grain. We don't feed any concentrates like protein tubs and there's pellets and things like that. We don't feed any of that stuff. If you feed that type of thing, the animals will grow large and fast, but they tend to have a fattier profile and the meat tends to take on, I don't know how to describe it, kind of like a, I don't know, just kind of an artificial flavor, like kind of a cardboardy flavor. With our animals, they're slower grown, they have a lower fat profile, and again, they're fed only grass, so they don't take on any of the off flavors that you get from the concentrates. We sell them at about a year and a half. You're listening to KCBX Public Radio for the Central Coast. I'm Father Ian, learning how to raise goats and sheep for meat. Goat and sheep herder Brian Palmer is introducing me to his herd. The large white one there, this uh, lady here, and the one in the middle, those are the breeding. So we've got one, two, three, four, five. Numbers two and four are going to be processed eventually. And who's this? That gentleman is Arrow. My daughter's name them all. My daughters want to keep him for a pet, so we'll see. Maybe he'll end up going to the processor at some point, but that'll be kind of a conversation I have with my daughters. <laughs> Do your daughters understand animals and meat? Oh yeah, yeah, they've grown up with this. We moved here when they were two. And they have eaten the animals? Oh yeah, okay. oh they love it. I've had times where I'll be eating some lamb and they'll literally just come and start taking it off my plate because they want <laughs> some for themselves. They gonna let us out? Angel boy, excuse me. This area grows out pretty lush during the summer. We've got these movable panels here. So they've eaten this down and you can see there's more grass over to the northwest there. So I'll shift them over, they'll have that grass. I'm basically trying to keep them out of these trees. So you can see I've got a bunch of fruit trees here. 
I have the large gates that I use with that animal panel in front and the gates basically give it structure and then the animal panel keeps them from kind of wiggling out. And we're going to use rotating panel almost exclusively. A lot of this interior fencing just won't be here in a few years. I set it up into little pens that move those pens along so that they can eat down the pasture and then give it a chance to regrow. And you'll notice here I've got this vegetation growing outside of that fence. Mm -hmm. That's actually a special kind of tree. It's called a paulonia tree. It's really high in protein, comparable to alfalfa, and it's extremely fast growing. So those are in their second year. And if the goats hadn't gotten to them, they would all be as tall as that one there. That okay. one's about 10 or 12 feet tall. Uh, the goats got to them, so <laughs> that's, like I said, what goats do. Once those are fully grown out, that's actually going to be sort of a summertime feed for the animals. We can eat it down to the ground, and at that very same season, it will actually spring up. And then I've also got a big mix of other things, some leguminous trees in there. Down the field, I have mulberry, chestnut, ash, walnut. I'm transitioning the farm from being just straight pasture into being more of a tree and shrub based farm. That's the goat's preferred food. There's a system used a lot in other countries called a cut and carry system. Over the summer, everything around here dries up, right? I mean, you can see the hills are just completely bare. Mm -hmm. It's only the stuff with the deep roots, like the, the trees, the shrubs and everything that will be able to grow um, without excessive irrigation. Over the summer, the animals will probably still be in a sacrifice paddock like they are now. But as the trees are growing out and there's enough vegetation to harvest, I'll be cutting, carrying it over, they'll consume it there. That leaves a whole bunch of extra stuff, the branches and, and twigs and everything. That will then get composted down. I plan on using that for uh, mushroom bedding. The longer term vision of the farm is not really goat based. Longer term, it's going to transition into more of like a perennial based system that'll kind of have like positive feedback loops over time, right? So increasing soil quality, increasing moisture uh, utilization, increasing solar utilization, still feeding the goats, but then also getting a lot of other benefit. We have hazelnuts. We have chestnuts growing currently, but the trees will eventually start producing chestnuts. We'll be getting all these extra products out of the trees that will also service the goats. It's like a super long-term vision. It's going to require a lot of patience and a lot of frustration <laughs> to, to really get it going. Ultimately, long-term vision is that kind of virtuous circle of the perennials feeding the system and the system kind of feeding back to the perennials and have things gradually improve long-term. On the one hand, I am a bit of a fish out of water doing goat and lamb in the salad bowl of the world, right? I have actually been able to kind of capitalize on that a little bit because there's a lot of food waste that comes out of the Salinas Valley, like literal tons and tons every single day. I actually pick up product pretty often, pallets of lettuce, celery, cabbage. It's high in nutrition, but low in calories. I'm able to kind of offset the feed costs a little bit by doing that. I do think that there's actually a service basically that we could provide for the food system writ large. All that wasted produce could be put to use in an operation like this. Can we go see those sheep? Sure, we can okay. see the sheep. I do have one extra set of uh, goats down here. Okay. The females born this year, I have them separated from the rest of the herd so they don't get pregnant. So I've got these four over here. If they get pregnant, does that change their flavor? I don't know about their flavor, but what it'll do is it'll stunt their growth. Basically, they divert all their energy into producing the offspring. And then after that, producing all the milk for the offspring. And so if you have a goat that gets pregnant early, they're not going to grow to their full potential. It's also hard on their bodies as well because they have a small frame. In the first year of pregnancy, their frame is so small they have difficult birthing the babies. You're listening to KCBX Public Radio for the Central Coast. I'm Father Ian in Salinas learning how to raise goats and sheep. Brian Palmer has a hobby farm as a side hustle to his math teacher job. 
and he's making it work with creative ways to reduce costs and providing a product that people really want. Hi, hi, baby. These are the actual market lambs that we're gonna be selling. So we've got six of them here. This one up front, she's a bottle baby, so we're gonna keep her, she's a real sweetie. Tim and Laura, so they have a couple of fenced-in pastures, so the, the lambs were here for probably about two months. Then we just recently moved them over here, so they'll graze down this vegetation here. It's not super high quality, but it's like all brown and crispy, not a whole lot of nutrition there. So I do give them some supplemental alfalfa. This has been a godsend in terms of profitability. When we were up at 60 animals, we had to feed so much hay that we were just really, really struggling to break even. Having these guys down here, we've reduced the amount of hay that we feed these guys down to, this is only like their fourth bale in probably about three months. And each bale is $25. When I was feeding 60 animals last year, you can imagine a bale and a half per day. Last year, it wasn't quite as expensive. Last year was like 16, 18, $20 a bale in that range, depending on uh, when you bought it. And so you can imagine a bale and a half per day, every single day versus four bales over three months, right? Yeah. And so this has been a big, big win in terms of profitability. And it's worked out well. Their interest was getting the pasture eaten down. They were just gonna mow it. You can see where they started mowing it. Then Laura reached out to me and said, hey, would you be interested in grazing some goats down here? I said, no, <laughs> because the goats are just gonna get out and start destroying people's property, but I will bring some lambs down. And they absolutely love the lambs. They're very, very sweet. They're just beautiful animals. They're a special breed American black belly. My wife summed it up really nicely. She said they look like little deer out eating in the pasture. They shed their wool over the summer. The wool with the lanolin is actually what gives lamb its sort of um, kind of the mutton flavor, right? It's the like, stench that comes from the fat the next yeah, day when it, in the kitchen. Exactly. So that, uh, <laughs> that comes from the lanolin. These guys, since they shed their wool, they don't pick up that oily scent in the meat. So these guys are actually a really well-known meat breed. The product is absolutely phenomenal. I would say that our flagship product is the uh, lamb chops. It's just phenomenal, phenomenal meat. Where do I get those? <laughs> <laughs> I've got them up at the house. We got some feedback from our customers. They said, you know, when I buy goat meat at a traditional market or at a meat shop or whatever, it has a stench to it. They say they open the package and it just, it doesn't smell like clean, high quality meat. Part of that comes from feeding concentrates. A big bucket, it's got ground soy in it, maybe some kelp meal, molasses. The animals love it. It's really high in nutrition and it's really high in protein, but it gives the meat kind of an off flavor. What people think of as like the goat scent, that's mostly in the fat. When you're tasting the meat itself, it's actually really, really good meat. It's similar to lamb, but it's a little bit sweeter. The moments that you taste goatiness is when you're tasting the actual fat. And so our customers, they always specify trim excess fat, low fat, try and get me pieces without too much fat. It's this kind of recurring theme of the fat is where that sort of like goaty scent is, right? So the fact that our animals are 100% pasture raised and grass fed means that they don't get that same level of fattiness, first of all, and also the fat that they do have, they don't pick up those flavors from the concentrates. One of our customers, he said, the quality of goat meat that you produce is on par with goat that I've had at Michelin three-star restaurants. We have really positive feedback from our customers saying that they can't get this quality of meat anywhere. I had a guy up in the Bay Area. He said he literally went to every single butcher shop in the Bay Area that sold goat meat and he couldn't find any decent quality goat meat. It wasn't until he found me way down here in Salinas. He's up in uh, Dublin and he was literally buying from this random guy in Salinas because it's the only quality goat meat he could find. That's pretty much why I do this, right? It's like when I have customers who are saying that I'm creating such a valuable product to them, 
it's hard, like we just saw with goats getting their heads stuck or with them destroying the infrastructure or getting out and destroying trees. It's so easy to want to throw your hands up and say like, I'm, I'm, in fact, I've done it multiple times, four or five times. I've walked in the house and announced to my wife, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. Then I talk with my customers and I make my deliveries and we chat and we, you know, give all the updates and they're always so interested in what's going on and they're so eager to get the product. I've had people tell me like, we're so grateful to have this. How can you stop when you're providing something like that for people? So I don't see the process. I drop the animals off. They're taken in, processed, and then they call me four or five days later to pick up the finished product. We sell exclusively direct to customer. We have one buy-in club that we sell to, and then all the rest is individual customers that either they're on a subscription or they buy from us a couple pounds at a time. For goat and sheep separately, what's your total poundage per year? Last year we sold about $20,000 worth of product, so divide that by 15, 1,300 pounds basically. And that's finished product. That's not a lot. No. But does no, it keep you going? Currently it's paying for itself, depending on the month. Sometimes we're profitable, sometimes we're not profitable. I've reduced the herd size quite a bit. Last year, spring, I had about 60 animals. I've cut us way down just because I knew summer was coming. We hadn't had enough rain for the pasture to be productive. So the pastures just did not stretch far enough. So I actually cut back on the number of customers. Because we cut back on customers, I was able to reduce the herd. So the pasture now has gone a lot further, which reduced our cost. That's allowed us to be significantly more profitable this year than last year. It was my turn to find out if the meat was as good as all of Brian's customers were saying. I got a small shoulder steak of goat and one of lamb so I could compare the two side by side. I asked Brian if I should simply pan fry them with salt and pepper to do the comparison, and he suggested that I prepare them as I would any other shoulder piece. So I made two separate dishes of birria, one goat and one lamb. I toasted dried chilies, cooked them up with aromatics and herbs, whizzed them up into a sauce. I seared both shoulder steaks, put them in separate pots and poured the sauce over them. I popped them into the fridge for eight hours to bathe in deliciousness. Then I set them on the stove to simmer for three hours until the meat was falling off the bone. First, I must say that neither the goat nor the lamb stunk up my house. Now it's time to take some meat, some cabbage, onion, radish, cotija, cilantro, and avocado, squeeze it all between the corn tortilla, dip it into the birria consomme, and tuck in. I'm here with my plate of goat birria and lamb birria with all the accoutrement, the consomme, and tortillas that have been pre-warmed with the cotija cheese. I'm going to start with the goat. My goat birria taco is ready to go. Mmm. Very nice. Mmm. He's right. Similar flavor to lamb. No strong goatiness. Didn't make my house smell. And there wasn't any fat to scrape off of the consomme after I braised the goat shoulder. And now time for the lamb birria. I did try each of them separately and they do taste very similar, but the goat actually has a lighter character to it than the lamb. I have my lamb birria taco assembled. Mmm. It's very delicious. Tastes like lamb. It isn't as strong as lamb that you buy in the grocery store. And I'm glad I did the goat first because it does have a lighter flavor than the lamb. Very delicious. This is Playing With Food's first look into raising animals for food. It's such a different experience than driving along I-5 and seeing and smelling the big feedlots. I have friends who, in the past, have been vegetarian, stating that if they knew where the meat came from and how the animals were raised, they would eat meat. Turning leaf lamb and goat meat would definitely qualify. Remember his customer all the way in Dublin in the Bay Area? Well, I'm actually 16 miles further than downtown Dublin. 
For high-quality, delicious, sustainably farmed meat, 120 miles in an all-electric vehicle charged by the sun is definitely worth doing. This is KCBX Public Radio for the Central Coast. I'm Father Ian, and I'm playing with food.